Welcome to Blood is Red, Volume 1 of the Color Collection series of short story anthologies written by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. Blood is Red is also available as an ebook and an unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash blood is red. Happy Thanksgiving, Junkie. I hope you had a chance to spend some time in real life or online with the people that you dig. I'll tell you who I spent time with. Tom Turkey. I ate a bunch of turkey. I will still eat a bunch of turkey as a real girl herself gets a separate turkey breast for sandwiches only. We will see if I can top last year's record of turkey sandwiches for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for four straight days. Win or lose, though, I still come out on top. Warpath is almost off to the publisher. I will not lie. This has been one of the most frustrating experiences of my writing career. It is very different from my usual fare, and it took a lot of work to get this different approach dialed in. And this is, uh, this is only the second draft. After the publisher reviews the second draft, there may be even more work ahead. But now that it's about to be off to the publisher, I dig into GFL Book 7's final draft, and Slay Season 2 is coming up. It's going to be right in this feed. The Blood is Red Q&A episode will be live on the Sigler in Place live stream Wednesday, November 29th, 2023 at 6 p.m. Pacific Time, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Got a question you want answered? You can email that to info at emptyset.com or you can join us and ask it live in the chat. Join in at twitch.tv slash scottsigler, youtube.com slash scottsigler or facebook.com slash scottsigler. What? You're too busy. You can't watch live on Wednesday nights. Don't worry. We will rip that audio and put it right in this very feed. You can consume it whenever you like. In fact, episode 11 will be that very Q&A and probably episode 12 as well, because the junkies love the Q&A sessions and there's usually a lot of stuff to cover. All right, here we go with the final story from the Blood is Red collection. This is Sacred Cow. There will be an author's note after the story, so bear with any commercials and check it out. Enjoy. Sacred Cow by Scott Sigler There is a fine line between absent-minded genius and idiot savant. Gordo Gordon kept a foot planted firmly on either side. Father Al knew this better than anyone. The father stared down at the tangle of wires and bits of discarded electronic equipment, wondering what side of that line Gordo leaned toward at that moment. It's great, Gordo. Really great, the good father said proudly. What is it? It's a prayerometer, Gordon said. Measures the energy gived off in prayers. Father Alphonse Rodriguez, Father Al to just about everyone in the congregation, stared down at the beat-up radio flyer wagon filled with what looked to be an old EKG graph, a broken A-track player, complete with a BG's cartridge, bundles of colored wires, and some kind of receiving dish made from an industrial-sized colander. Measures prayers, does it? Traces of Father Al's Latino heritage rolled faintly in his voice, but his fatherly love for Gordo rang strong with every word. Love, however, must never interfere with duty. I imagine you want to use this device during tomorrow's worship. I can assume that a Sunday Mass provides the most uh, prayer energy, as you call it? Gordo nodded slowly. That's fine, Father Al said. 
You can be here for Mass, but you can't make any noise. And you have to promise me you won't interrupt the sermon with more Shriner plots or rants about the communist overtones of Cinderella. Remember last time? Gordo nodded again, more than just a little ashamed. Yeah, I promise, Father, you bet. Fine, then, Father Al said, with an encouraging smile and a thumping pat on Gordo's back. The parishioners wouldn't be happy with the mess occupying the last pew, but they'd get over it. If the process helped the boy, even a little, Father Al was happy to put up with the inconvenience. Besides, he was already dying to see what a prayer-o-meter would do. The two men had met 14 years ago when Gordo, then eight years old and all alone in the world, arrived at the St. Thomas Aquinas Orphanage. Father Al quickly became enamored with a strange boy who collected useless, battered radios, who scrounged in dumpsters for discarded toasters, broken phones, or anything else once dubbed electronic. The habit seemed more than a little strange at first, until Gordo started building things with the technological leftovers. For most of their 14-year relationship, Father Al stood an encouraging witness to Gordo's bizarre and useless inventions. Gordo, you see, was brilliant. He was special. God had special plans for Gordo Gordon. Of that, Father Al was convinced. Everyone else who knew Gordo thought he was stupid, crazy, or both. But they didn't live with Gordo, as Father Al did. They didn't know how spooky smart the boy could be. Once you see a 17-year-old doodle over a TV guide with an argument against Stephen Hawking's theory of perfectly spherical black holes, it's impossible to think of him as stupid. Despite Gordo's unpredictable bouts of brilliance, he managed to fail almost every class at St. Thomas. It wasn't that he couldn't do the work. That was like asking Michelangelo if he could keep the Crayolas inside the lines. Gordo simply couldn't concentrate. His head jumped from idea to idea, lightning fast and nonstop, as if his brain ran on high-octane funny car fuel. In his heart, Father Al knew that if the boy's mind would slow down, even by a tick or two, just a nudge. Gordo Gordon would be ranked up there with Einstein or Bach or Shakespeare or anyone else dubbed genius. Unfortunately, nothing could slow Gordo down long enough to complete even a single assignment. Not Ritalin, not detention, not the nun's ruler wax, nothing. To make matters worse, Gordo suffered frequent bouts of what the social worker psychologist called high anxiety. Less kind people called the episodes raving paranoia, and one wayward parishioner dubbed the bouts taking the fucknut bus to crazy town. Gordo's wild mind concocted plots ranging from the truly paranoid, like Shriner hats contain hidden mind-reading devices, to the truly bizarre, such as Sir Francis Drake was never properly credited for penning the 70s hit Shake Your Groove Thang. Father Al, who loved Gordo like a son, simply referred to these episodes as non-thinking mode. Non-thinking mode was a severe cross for anyone to bear, but God always had some way of balancing these things out. In Gordo's case, that balance came via thinking mode. While just as powerful and intense as the rants, thinking mode meant moments of concentration. And when Gordo concentrated, all manner of inventions seemed possible. Father Al looked forward to these inventions with the glee of a soap opera addict waiting for the Monday morning episode. Experience taught him that if the boy could conceive it, he could build it. This time, Gordo's interest strayed into the realm of theology. Father Al found himself even more interested than normal. A prayer-o-meter, hmm? 
Father Al said as Gordo ran wires from the Staying Alive cartridge to the EKG machine. Where on earth did you get an idea for this? Gordo stopped pulling wires and pressed his palms to either side of his neck. After 14 years, Father Al knew Gordo's postures. Hands on the neck meant Gordo was in serious thinking mode. Gordo showed non-thinking mode by hanging his head and clutching furiously at his crotch. Barnes and Gatlow of USC proved chemical changes occurred during deep states of meditation, Gordo said quietly, pulling the equipment from the rusted child's wagon. Whitley of Caltech verified enhanced alpha waves in praying subjects. Father L nodded knowingly, although he didn't understand a word. That's interesting, but what is it going to do? It's proved that the mind changes states in prayer and that at least one kind of mental energy is amplified in the process. Gordo said without looking up. I did some calculations. You bet I did. If Barnes and Gatlow and Whitley are right, this process should release measurable energy. I want to see it. You can see prayers. Yep. Has anybody else ever seen this energy? Nope. Gordo ran multicolored ribbon wire from the EKG to the colander. Gotta invent it. You bet. Gotta combine a bioelectricity and polarized light. I need to use a fusiform gyrus, a fresh one. Is is that okay? Sure, Father L said. That's fine. He had no idea what a fusiform gyrus was, but he wanted to encourage the boy. He knew better than to try and understand the details of a Gordo gadget. Grasping the rough concept was usually all he could shoot for, all anyone could shoot for. Just don't forget to sweep and mop tonight, and make sure you're home in time for dinner, Father L said. I'm making meatloaf. Gordo made an abstract yummy noise, but it was already lost in the tangle of wires, plastic, and ravaged electronics. Father Al walked off, hoping that for once Gordo would remember to do his janitorial duties without being reminded a second, third, and probably fourth time. Father Al had given Gordo the janitor job when the boy was old enough to stop the charade of school. Gordo cleaned and straightened and mopped and scrubbed with the best of them, after a little guidance and a lot of persistent direction, that is. Father L didn't mind providing that guidance. Just as God looked out for Father L, Father L looked out for Gordo. They lived across the street from the Holy Trinity Church in a delightful old brownstone rectory. Father L took Gordo in shortly after giving him the janitorial job. The arrangement raised more than a few eyebrows, but Father L ignored the hush whispers and suspicious glances. A few misguided individuals didn't make every priest a child-molesting pervert. Father L never felt the need to justify his actions to anyone. People didn't have to understand. The Lord did, and that was enough. Gordo spent his modest janitor's wage in second-hand stores and pawn shops, buying up used electronic equipment, wire, circuits, old computers, appliance motors, and anything else he could find, cobbling the technological flotsam and jetsam into all sorts of strange devices. With the telling phrase of, gotta invent it, you bet, Gordo produced bizarre contraptions, solar-powered etch-a-sketches that drew lifelike portraits, a trash compactor that converted garbage into marble-hard ashtrays and flower pots, a modified Norelco electric shaver that let you kill cockroaches with beams of sound. The list went on and on. Building things was an outlet for the boy's strange talents. Gordo was special. Father Al knew God had a particular purpose carved out for Gordo's strange talent. Something big, something grandiose. 
It turned out to be big all right, but when it was all said and done, Father Al wouldn't think God had anything to do with it. In fact, if God had seen it coming, Father Al wouldn't have been the least bit surprised to see Gordo struck dead with a very large bolt of lightning. Sunday came, but Father Al's curiosity had to wait another week. Gordo entered the church with his head down and both hands pulling furiously at his groin. Father Al acted rapidly, trying to stave off an embarrassing outburst. He quickly but gently led the crotch-clutching man out of the cathedral's big wooden doors, then down the concrete steps to the sidewalk. It's them fucking Shriners! You bet it is! Fucking Shriners and the little cars! Over 300 miles to the gallon! End of the energy crisis, but are they sharing? No, they just control people with their hats and wait for the apocalypse so they'll be the only ones in the damn parade. <sighs> Go straight home, Gordo. We'll talk about it when I finish the service. Gordo turned obediently and shambled down the sidewalk, pulling madly at his crotch. Father Al suffered an all-too-familiar wave of pity for the poor boy's mental demise, then headed back into the church to do God's work. The week passed with little event, aside from a Wednesday morning rant about Bill Gates' clever plot to kill Mac users with carcinogenic Twinkies. Don't eat Hostess products, Gordo had screamed at 3.12 a.m. If they can get to the Twinkies, you bet they can get to the Chocodiles and the Ho-Hos. Father Al could barely wait for Sunday to arrive. Of course, Sunday always excited him, because he truly loved his work, but all week curiosity chewed at his mind. What did a prayerometer actually do? If it made prayers visible, what did they look like? He had no doubt that Gordo could invent such an unlikely device. One look through the fart glasses would make a believer out of anyone. Halfway through the sermon, Father Al noticed people clear away from Gordo's area, and clear away quickly. Everyone in the back of the church watched Gordo instead of following God's word. Instantly nervous, it was all Father Al could do to not hurry the sermon. Something was up, and it couldn't be good. After Mass, Father Al walked to the last pew. Gordo had added two new pieces of equipment to the prayerometer, an old Zenith black-and-white 10-inch monitor and a Sony camcorder. The area reeked of wet fur and garbage. Father Al started to ask where the smell was coming from, but stopped short when he saw three huge dead rats piled in Gordo's rusty wagon. Their heads were split open. Blood filled the wagon's bottom. He noticed a wire-clad gadget affixed to the camcorder's lens, a gadget streaked with the same tacky blood. Gordo, why have you brought dead vermin into my church? Gordo's eyes went wide with fear. He instantly recognized Father Al's I-mean-business tone. I asked you! I asked you last week and you said it was okay! You did not ask me if you could butcher rats in the house of God! But I told you, Gordo stammered, all the syllables blending together into one long word. I needed a fusiform gyrus and you bet you said it was fine. Father Al blinked a few times, remembering the conversation. Gordo had asked, Father Al just hadn't bothered to get the details. He made a mental note to ask more questions in the future. All right, Gordo, what is this fusiform thing and why do you need it? 
It's part of the secondary visual cortex, Gordo said rapidly. His hands pressed against his neck so hard that the skin beneath his fingers looked eggshell white. Gordo talked machine gun quick, desperate to appease his only true friend. It's bioenergy outside the currently accepted wavelength spectrum. Machines can't see it. I had to interface biological receptors in an optic system. It, I invented it and it worked. You bet it did. What worked? The prerometer, Gordo said with delight. Do you, you want to see? Father Al thought for a moment, then nodded. As long as this rat business was done, he might as well see if it was worth the trouble. Gordo hit a button. The A-track and camcorder simultaneously rewound. A long minute later, Gordo hit play. Father Al stared into the zenith's black and white picture. On the tiny screen, he could see himself far off on the pulpit. The throng of worshippers, who'd left only minutes earlier, either echoed the practice Catholic mantras or listened intently. A strange, ethereal white fuzz covered their heads. Before he even asked a question, Father Al's anger vanished completely, replaced by awe for Gordo's strange talents. Gordo, is that what I think it is? Yeah, you bet. That's the prey waves, Gordo said. That's what comes off praying people. Father Al watched the ghostly white energy spread in all directions, like an expanding bubble. When it hit walls or pews, it bounced upwards. It rode in some sort of silent, perpetual slow motion, crawling along the rafters, creeping up the stained glass windows, and oozing against the towering, slanted cathedral roof. It was like watching steam rise from an early morning river. Heavy steam. Living steam. As the energy rose, it collected, becoming brighter. Thicker. The sermon finished. The misty glow continued floating to the ceiling's highest points until it slowly seeped out and disappeared. Where did it go? Father Al asked in a breathless whisper. Not quite able to comprehend, he just watched the living embodiment of prayer. I wondered that myself. You bet I did. I figured the energy would follow the architecture. So last night I set up another prayer up on a roof. Want to come see what happens with this stuff? Father Al nodded slowly. They headed out of the church toward the brownstone's roof. The corpses of five dead rats littered the dirt-speckled roof, their blood congealed and thickly marooned against the black tar. This prayer looked mostly the same, although the A-track held a Donna Summer cartridge instead of the Bee Gees. Father Al looked across the street at the church's towering stone steeple. Gordo hit the rewind button. That a month ago, I figured it. Most religions have churches with big pointy bits. Christianity, Muslimites, Buddhists, all kinds, you bet. I mathematically calculated what kind of energy might emanate from a brain in prayer mode, and my calculations indicated a non-corporeal energy that would rise in an ever-expanding sphere unless obstructed by a solid object. Father Al, still dressed in full vestments and cassock, stood atop the hot, dirty roof. The air smelled of lingering garbage, tar, and dead rats. He felt a nauseating, prescient knowledge of what he'd soon see. Gordo hit play. A beat-up, boxy, eight-inch Magnavox screen flared to life with a picture of the church's towering steeple. On the tiny screen, the steeple slowly began to glow with the suffused white light, the same ghostly energy created during the service. The cottony illumination slowly filtered along the roof, crawling toward the intricate cross perched high atop the steeple. 
Only a warm glow at first, the energy quickly increased until the whole steeple burned like some ethereal branding iron. The beam of white energy floated steadily upward from the cross, like thick, iridescent chimney smoke. When there's no solid left, it just goes straight up, Gordo said. The church acts like a magnifying glass. Gordo nodded rapidly. You bet, Father, you bet. So where does all the energy go? Father Al feared he already knew the answer. His knees trembled with that realization. Only an idiot could think the energy and the church's structure a coincidence. Gordo was right. Almost every house of worship Father Al had ever seen, even churches with very modern designs, featured some kind of vaulted ceiling or pointy vertical architecture. It was just so obvious once you saw that energy. The church acted as a double collector. First, to concentrate the worshipers, then to concentrate their energy. Like an amplifier. No, not just an amplifier. A transmitter, his mind said, although he didn't want to think it. A transmitter for sending out the prey waves. As if the tiny Magnavox's images weighed him down, Father Al slowly, weakly, fell to his ass. Warm, tacky tar clung to his religious finery. The robes were instantly soiled, ruined. It was disrespectful, but for the first time in his long religious career, Father Alphonse Rodriguez just plain didn't give a flying fuck. Gordo, what could you use this energy for? Could you use it like uh, electricity to power things? If anyone had a guess what this was all about, it was Gordo, the boy who had conceived it, theorized it, and built a device to see it when no one else in the world even had an inkling such energy existed. Gordo pulled his stubby red Crayola and a ratty, thrice-folded section of the New York Times from his pocket. He started scribbling furiously. Father Al didn't bother looking at the figures. He knew he wouldn't understand them. He watched the tiny screen. The column of drifting, rising energy lazily stretched toward the sky. Then, suddenly, the scene's calmness evaporated. The top of the prey wave column dissipated as if punctured by a cannonball. Bits of energy scattered in all directions, but it wasn't just that something had gone through the column. He clearly saw that much of the energy was gone, somehow consumed. Father Al leaned toward the screen, a creeping tingle of fear growing in his stomach. After the first disturbance, there was a short pause, and then the prey wave column seemed under attack. Holes appeared by the hundreds, as if something was taking huge bites of the bizarre energy. It seemed primitive, vicious, and he cringed as he watched the column first torn to shreds, and then even the shreds were consumed. Piranha, he thought, that tingle of fear now gripping his entire body and soul. Like invisible piranha. Gordo ripped off a formula-covered page, thumbed it firmly into the tacky tar, and continued on a fresh sheet. He was caught up in his calculations and hadn't seen the column's demise. Mm, it's probably like food, Gordo said. Like how plants use sunlight. Could be some kind of food for some creatures if they was a lot different from us, a lot different. You bet. Father Al looked back to the steeple. The cut stone architecture had always looked so grand in the summer sun. Looked so pristine. So damned important. He looked back at the scribbling Gordo in brief wonder at the absolute irony of it all. Gordo, who saw conspiracy in everything from fruit roll-ups to Elvis postage stamps, was oblivious to the most mind-numbing plot ever known to man. Something was feeding on humanity. 
They'd been doing it for centuries. Millennia. Maybe it was God after all. Maybe feeding him was the price for his love. Even if that was the case, it still made Father Al sick in the soul. He'd preached to people. He'd led them in prayer. He'd been trained to do it, been doing it all his adult life. But what he really did was herd people, hooking them into the prayer machine the way a farmer hooks an automatic milker to a cow's teat. Cattle, Father Al whispered. We're being milked like cows. Gordo's face lit up with wonderment and realization, as if Father Al had casually put the whole puzzle together. Hey, hey, that sounds about right. You know, Father Al, you're pretty damn smart. Yeah, smart. You bet I am, Gordo. You bet. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Author's Note for Sacred Cow I used to go to church. You bet I did. When I was a kid, my parents took me to many different churches. My mom was Jewish. My dad was Catholic. Instead of them settling it in proper religious style, which would be a tied-wrist knife fight a la Michael Jackson's Thriller video, at least according to the rules specified in the Old Testament, they said, screw it, and took us to whichever church was closest. We moved a lot. Hence, we hit a lot of churches. I'd already read the Bible cover to cover. Hell of a story, but since I knew from the time I was eight that I wanted to be a writer, I read it more for plot and character than for guidance. Look, man, I haven't been able to just enjoy a book, any book, since I was eight, okay? For pure enjoyment of story, there was Magnum P.I., and what else did I need? I can tell you, however, that the Old Testament has some really kick-ass action scenes. So I'd read the book and found a few plot holes that threw me off. Hence, I tried to keep my trap shut in church, but I had the attention span of a flea that's fallen into a can of Red Bull. And kindly save any easily offended responses, I was 11, with ADD so bad, Ritalin wanted me to sign an endorsement deal. 
I could barely finish an episode of Star Blazers without running a few random laps around the house for absolutely no reason, so me sitting in church for an hour and paying attention was simply not going to happen. When others had their heads down in prayer, I was like a prairie dog looking around for something to combat the boredom. I saw hundreds of people doing the same thing, doing what they were told, and behaving like, well, like cattle. I grew up in a farm town, so my frame of reference for metaphors was rather limited. As I kept looking around, I think at that point I was trying to count the rivets and the ceiling beams, I realized that all churches kind of look the same. Big space, ceiling that angles up, pointy bits up on top that aim for the sky. Those two concepts stayed in my head for many years, until I read a research article that showed deep prayer produced measurable changes in brainwave patterns. When I started writing a short story a week in 1997, Sacred Cow was one of the first things to finally make the magical leap from stuff happening only in brain to stuff written down on paper. From there, it was a podcast and then turned into a sweet short movie by Earl Newton and Kevin Capizzi starring Toby Turner. Oh, you want to just watch that movie for yourself? Just go to scottsigler.com slash sacredcowmovie. You have been listening to Blood is Red, volume one of the Color Collection series of short story anthologies written by Scott Sigler, performed by the author. For more information on Scott, please visit scottsigler.com. Blood is Red was produced by Empty Set Entertainment. Copyright 2023, Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is Dead Silence by the composer Vazia Sakal. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.